0: we're in second Timothy sometimes people ask what is unique about Lynchburg City Church I love expository preaching I love going verse by verse through a book and taking it like a sponge and just squeezing it to death squeezing it to death second Timothy is where we're going to begin today it seems appropriate because four years ago almost a little over four years ago We started through 1st Timothy. This is, I don't know, some of you guys can see my Bible. That was, that's how hard we squeeze these verses right there. It's just, some of the, some of the verses are just missing. Um, we spent over 40 weeks in 1st Timothy. So to give you an idea of what you're about to get into. So we're in 2nd Timothy today. This letter has been referred to as Paul's last will and testament. Paul's last will and testament. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, Acts 28, Paul's in prison in Rome, really under a house arrest. The story ends, and it's believed that he traveled to as far as Spain on what would have been his fourth missionary journey. Well, it's been a few years since then, and he finds himself back in Rome. Usbius the church historian, claims that Paul was martyred sometime during Nero's reign, which ended in 68 AD. And so we place the time and date of this writing in Rome, roughly between 64 and 67 AD. And to give you a flavor of how one may have been received as a Christian at this time, I look to the church historian, excuse me, to the Roman historian Tacitus, For only a few years earlier, in 64 AD, Nero torched his own city. The Roman historian Tacitus, commenting on this, writes, and I quote, But all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor and the propitiation of the gods did not banish the sinister belief that the fire was the result of an order by Nero. Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most tortures in a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Not exactly an ideal time to be a follower of Jesus, especially in the capital city of Rome, but that's exactly where Paul finds himself. 64, 67 A.D., in a Roman dungeon. As we'll explore Second Timothy, we also know Timothy's been abandoned. Timothy's been abandoned by people that he's loved, by people that he's discipled and poured into. They've just left him. So he's kind of feeling a little bit lonely. Some I mean, of you, you might feel a little lonely for whatever reason right now. I'm good, because Paul can relate to you. So this is the introduction to 2nd Timothy and we begin in chapter 1 verse 1 and this is what he writes he says Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus I want to park it over verse 1 for a few minutes because there's a lot to squeeze out here Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus right away there's a lot of criticism that comes from verse 1 Many people think that Paul did not write this letter because of his opening remarks in verse 1. And they argue and they say that in such an intimate letter like 2 Timothy that he would never have bothered to emphasize his apostleship which Timothy never would have questioned. And for that reason, he didn't write this book. But others, including myself, would argue that he did in fact write this book and he mentions many truths in this book which Timothy already believed and already knew. Not just his apostleship. In fact, I think one of the reasons he mentions his apostleship is because he knows Timothy. The young pastor at the ancient city in Ephesus, the church there in Ephesus, he knows Timothy. He knows Timothy sometimes is faint-hearted. He knows Timothy sometimes struggles. Um, He's discouraged. He's He has a hard time there. And rather, he says this to reinforce his authority, not because Timothy somehow didn't believe it, but because Timothy needed to be reminded in this strong apostolic sense of some of the things that he's about to say. And so he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle, let's just stop right there on that word. People come and ask me. The word gets brought up. They say, do you believe in modern-day apostles? I say, well, it depends on how you define modern day. I like people to kind of define what they're talking about to make sure we're on the same page. Depends. Modern-day apostle. Now, typically, I, I kind of know where they're coming from. They, if, if they do believe in modern-day apostles, they, they tend to be from, from maybe more of a charismatic background. That's, if you're from a charismatic background, that's okay. I, I like to say I'm a charismatic, but with a seat belt on, so... You can sort that out however you'd like to. And so, apostle. Are there modern day apostles? Well, my short answer is, yes, there are modern day apostles. But I'm going to need to define that for you, first and foremost, for us to understand this. The word apostle means to send off, to commission someone to go on a mission to do something as one's personal representative with credentials furnished. So we think of an apostle as someone who's sent off on a mission as a personal representative with credentials furnished. And so I like to categorize it by what I'll call, and, and this isn't Bible language, this is Joe language, but I think it'll help differentiate, big A apostles and like little a apostles. Big A, little a apostles. People say, are there modern day apostles? I say, oh yeah, absolutely there are. There are modern-day apostles for every single person who has been saved by Jesus Christ, who has had a miracle done in their life. They are, in some sense, a little-a apostle. Paul would say it like this in Second Corinthians 5.20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you to be reconciled to God. So in some sense, at least in the little a sense, I would argue that every single person who is a true follower of our great God and King is an apostle, is living on this earth on a mission. On a mission. A mission from the King. And if you're familiar with Matthew 28, this ties in really well, right? Go and make disciples. So in some sense, I'd say, absolutely, absolutely they're modern day apostles. Every single person who is a Christian should be, should be a personal ambassador, representative, envoy of the king of the universe. But That's not usually what people are referring to when they bring this question to me. They are usually referring to Big A Apostle. Are there Big A Apostles? There were, there were. And this is where we see the two words kind of used differently big a apostles well who who are those people well the big a apostles would have included the original disciples with the addition of matthias after judas's defection that would have included paul and some would argue even barnabas now what's important to understand is because people will say well did they somehow function differently no they were Envoys, They were messengers. They were representatives of Jesus Christ. But what gave them their apostolic authority was what is significant. Their, their role is largely the, the same. But what gave them their apostolic credentials is what's significant. First and foremost, you want to be a big A apostle? You were personally chosen by Christ. Big A apostles like Paul and the disciples, they were personally chosen by our Lord, according to Luke chapter 6 verse 13 and Acts chapter nine 15. Second, they taught, excuse me, they were taught the gospel, not from Joe, not from Pastor Dane. They were taught the gospel from Jesus Christ himself. Galatians chapter 1, 11 to 12 makes this very, very clear. And furthermore, the third thing that gave them the, the big A status that gave them this apostolic authority, is the fact that they were witnesses of Jesus' words, they were witnesses of his deeds, and especially, especially his resurrection. According to Acts chapter 1, 21 and 22, they witnessed his resurrection. Paul, Paul witnessed it on the road to Damascus. That's why, one of the reasons I believe he's counted as an apostle. So, Are there apostles today? Yes. I would say for every single person who claims the name of Jesus Christ, you are an envoy to the king, you are his messenger, you are his representative. But are there individuals today who bear apostolic authority, like Paul in the opening of this letter? No. Not anymore. Not anymore. So this is what he goes on to say. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus don't want to neglect that phrase the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus here he witnesses and he testifies to this truth the promise think about that phrase of the life that is in Christ Jesus that God sent his only son Born of the Virgin Mary, he lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross. He was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave, conquering sin, conquering death, that salvation is a free gift of God by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. And here he's witnessing. Expect that from an apostle, right? A representative of the king, a messenger, an envoy. So here's the observation I make. Why aren't we more concerned with our witness? If we are, in some sense of the word, little a apostles, representatives, messengers, Paul would say Second 2 Corinthians 5.20, his ambassadors, why aren't we more concerned? For the sake of not embarrassing everyone, I'll ask a rhetorical question, one that needs no answer. How many of you have shared or witnessed to this promise, to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus this last month, this last six months, this last year. If I had to guess, very few hands would go up. And that's not okay. For all you know right now, there's people in this room, I'd say almost definitely, In this room right now, if they died, they'd go to hell. So why doesn't that concern us more? You sit in class with people just about every day. You walk by people every day. People on your dorms, on the hall. People who are just out in public every day who don't know Jesus in a saving way. And yet for many of us, witnessing to this truth as an envoy, a representative, an ambassador of the king is secondary to just about anything else going on in our lives. But I know, you've got a lot going on. you got a lot going on, you're busy. You could say just about anything you wanted to to justify why not. He's in a dungeon, all of his friends have left and abandoned him. Some of you guys, it's it's honestly a miracle that you even showed up today. It is. I mean, I, I don't get me talking about like small group and participation within the church. Don't got time for that, Pastor Joe. Got a lot going on. Why aren't we? Why are we more concerned? I don't understand that. I really don't. We're just like crew. We're just just coasting in this Disneyland version of American Christianity. I mean we're more concerned about the Baylor win or American ninja warriors and the fact that people are going to hell. That upsets me. It should upset you. If if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that should upset you. Why why are we not more like Paul? Why are we not more like Paul? Why are we not more intentional with people? Whether we're inviting them to service on Sunday, or inviting them to small group, or just sharing the gospel. Why not? What else do you have going on that is preventing you from this? The promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I'll just be real. I think some of you guys need to probably stop making excuses and step up to get a real sense of urgency from a guy, oh, by the way, who's basically on death row, who will die shortly after this letter is written. Some of you guys had a rough week. I get that. I don't think any of you are dealing with as rough situation circumstances as Paul is. Or a sea of BB who's still on death row in a Pakistani prison. (laughs) Yes, there are modern-day apostles. We're his envoys, his representatives, his messengers. So let's start acting like it. If you live in the city of Lynchburg, whether it's for six more months or 60 years, God has placed you for such a time as this to live your life and make it count for something of eternal significance. So redeem the time. Don't just come on a Sunday and warm a pew. Any pagan non-Christian can do that just fine. And so we continue to verse 2. He says to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love Paul. It's a guy who's had a rough week. Maybe more than a rough week. He's in a dungeon right now. Some of you guys had a rough week? I got you. I'm not to downplay your rough week. This guy's in a dungeon. (laughs) And he's saying these things. My beloved child, I love you, Timothy. He's he's like, how can I encourage Timothy? How can I encourage Timothy? I'm going to remind Timothy. I'm going to remind Timothy of the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the greatness of God. I want to point Timothy to that. You want to know what is the overarching theme of this book? If you're taking notes, this is what you want to write down. The overarching theme of this book is perseverance in the faith. In lieu of suffering, despite suffering, persevering in the faith. And so he's reminding Timothy. Timothy, I want to remind you of God's grace. God's mercy. I'm thankful for his mercy, especially in moments where I'm just... A complete idiot I want to remind you of God's peace Timothy just pointing Timothy to the greatness of God I mean would we expect anything else from someone who's an envoy a representative a messenger of the king of the universe Would we expect anything else from Paul Oh God that you might make us like this guy Paul we have the passion that Paul has To point people towards you regardless of our circumstances. We get to verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, Timothy, night and day. Just a quick observation. I'm thinking about this and I don't know. I felt personally convicted. This is an observation I pulled. Sometimes... We have a tendency to take the people that we care about the most and love the most just for granted. He doesn't do that. Sometimes I do that. He doesn't take Timothy for granted. He's not just flattering him right now. I mean, he loves Timothy. I mean, they know each other. They've traveled together. They've eaten together. They've ministered together. They've doubtless suffered for the sake of the gospel together. Together. Thank God whom I serve, Timothy, as did my ancestors. The reference here to ancestors is interesting. Paul, unlike Timothy, as far as we know, he didn't have any immediate godly examples in his life of what what it looks like to be like a legit Christian dude or, or, or flip it around, a legit Christian lady. He didn't have any of that. We'll see in a second. Timothy does. Paul doesn't. He makes this reference to his ancestors here. And thinking through this, and, and some of you, maybe you were blessed and God gave you a solid, like, Christian mom, or maybe even Christian mom and dad. But maybe not. So, so what do we do? What do we do? I can't relate to that, right? We get creative, right? We don't just float in our faith. Don't float in our faith. I mean, this whole letter is about persevering in our faith in light of circumstances, not being ideal. So what do we do? We get creative. Matt Chandler, he loves to say, young dudes, young dudes, get in the way of older dudes. Just just get in their way. One of the best things I I did, one of the best decisions I ever made, and I made a lot of dumb decisions when I was an undergrad at Liberty, One of the best decisions I ever made was I was just like, Pastor Dane, can I just hang out with you? Can we spend some time together? I just want to talk about girls, about the Bible, about life, about ministry. Just ask you any type of question I can think of. Get creative. Ask young dudes. It is totally okay for you to go and ask older dudes, can I just spend some time with you? Young ladies, it's totally okay to go and find an older lady and be like, Can I spend some time with you? Can I come over to your house? Can we talk? Can we get together? Can we have lunch? Can we have coffee? If, if you don't hear anything else that I say, that is vitally important. Jesus gives us command, right? And this very much ties into this idea of small a apostle, an envoy, a messenger representative. This is so important. If we're called to make disciples, it's very difficult if you yourself aren't being discipled. In campus ministry, it, it does help some, but sometimes my experience, there's only so much my 21-year-old RA could, could take me in life experience where I needed to go. I needed, I needed more than that. Don't coast. Some of you, you don't have godly examples in your life. What do you do? You do what Paul does. You get creative. He looks and he makes this reference to ancestors. He looks to other people in the faith, not his immediate family, to, to look to. As examples, you need to do that. You want to persevere in your faith? That's a great catalyst. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. He's in a Roman dungeon. He wants Timothy to know his physical sufferings, the fact that he is in an unpleasant place right now, is not due to his unfaithfulness to God. It's due to him being faithful to God. It's because he's faithful to God that he's in the Roman dungeon. That he's writing this letter, asking for Timothy, this young pastor, in the church of Ephesus, I want you to come see me. With a clear conscience, okay? Clear conscience. And then he says this, I remember you as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, night and day. He's emphasizing, he's reinforcing his devotion to Timothy. He loves Timothy. It's his son, it's his boy. John MacArthur, commenting on this phrase, writes this, and I quote, There is no better way to motivate other believers to consider their accountability to be faithful, and to move their hearts in service of Christ than to continually hold them up before the Lord in prayer and tell them of it. You want to encourage people? You want to disciple people? You want to motivate people to continue persevering in the faith? Pray for them. How often? Often. And then tell them about it. And, and just an observation here, just being real with you guys. Sometimes I struggle with this. Maybe even this year. I, I don't. I don't know. I have. Some of you guys have been in a small group at my house Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and, and a big emphasis on praying for each other. You get someone's prayer card, and you pray for them that night. But then you also we encourage to pray for them throughout the week. And so sometimes my mindset is, okay, it's Tuesday, so. I'm gonna let them know on Friday that I'm praying for them. That's that's cool. It's like midweek. But oftentimes my motivation in doing that is simply like so that they don't think I'm maybe like spiritually prideful or that they don't think I'm like, you know, coming on too strong or that I'm weird or whatever. And just being real, sometimes we care way too much when it comes to the spiritual realm, like what people are gonna think. Like I've literally thought. I've prayed for them every day, but I I can't text them every day. That'd be weird. Okay? Like, that'd be weird if I... It's not weird for him. Sometimes I think we just care way too much. When it comes to these things, we care way too much. Right? We're in worship. The person next to me, they they had their hands up, so can I... Maybe I'll just do like one hand, or, you know, palms up, palms down. Like, I don't... You know, what are they going to think like... Who cares? Who who cares? We care too much sometimes. Too much. He says, Timothy, Timothy, I love you. I know what you're going through. I know the challenges that you're facing. I'm praying for you, Timothy. I'm praying with that family situation you're dealing with. I'm praying because I know sin is knocking at your door. It's tempting you. It's trying to drag you down. I'm praying for victory in your life. Timothy, (laughs) <laughs> don't just pray for them tell them that you're praying for them you want to encourage them you want to motivate them you want to disciple them you want to move their hearts in faithfulness and devotion to the king pray and then tell them and, and worry about maybe what they're going to think later I get it there's, there's an appropriate balance if, I'm, if I text them like every hour is that, is that weird you know use your own level of discernment if, if you don't know them very well it, it might be kind of weird <laughs> Listen, I don't want there to be any more weird Christians in the world. There's enough weird Christians. Uh, I want us, I want us to have appropriate social skills. But I'll just be real. Like, whatever that is, I think sometimes we just care too much, especially when it comes to all things spiritual. What will be the perception of others? Your first concern should be you're an envoy. You're a representative. You're a messenger to the king. So discharge your duties faithfully. We get to verse four. He says this, As I remember your tears, Timothy, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now we don't know the precise occasion that he's referring to where Timothy's bawling his eyes out. It very well could have been the last time they saw each other. A very tearful goodbye. We don't know. But once again, speaking of what we were just talking about in verse 3, here's a dude who's just being totally real. I love the realness. I love the transparency. Yeah, Timothy, the pastor at Ephesus, he was just bawling his eyes out the last time you know we were hanging out. Um, very much probably because maybe he didn't think he'd see Paul again. But he's referencing that story, and it just reminds me, I think, of the the vulnerability both in Timothy when this happened, and, and, and two when Paul is referencing this in this open letter to him. And it makes me think once again. If we can't be vulnerable and real with people within the church, like where where should we go to look for that? <laughs> like if we can't be real with people in the covenant family of God, we can't be real and say, "Listen, I don't have it all together." And, and just this is not part of the sermon. Just, just Joe Decrion does not have it all together. I don't. I don't. I don't have it all together. But so often we come, whether it's here or outside these walls or in small group, and we put on this facade, like, everything's perfect. How was your week? Perfect. Yeah. Seven for seven on my quiet times, my devos. You know, I just like, I'm around. And that's good if that is you. I mean, that's that's great. But sometimes people are just like, we, we have such a hard time. Like, once it comes back, what are the people around me going to think? the people if I'm in my prayer pod with like two or three other girls I don't know I don't know if I can be real or transparent and there is I think some level of discernment that plays into that But so often that's not what I see I see people who just have this like the saw that they've got it all together we don't we don't have it all together As Christians, we don't have it all together. None of us do. Only one person has it all together. And they nailed that guy to a tree. I love, I love the intimacy. I love the vulnerability. I love Paul being like, dude, Timothy, I'm remembering you. And the last time we met, like you were crying like a little girl. And dude, I just want to see you because I miss you. And when I see you, you are so encouraging. You're so refreshing to my soul. Man, I need people like that in my life. People who refresh my soul. We have enough people to drain it. I want, I want a Timothy. Do we, and here's the other question, other end of the spectrum, do we strive to be like Timothy? To be that source of refreshment and joy that we're spilling out in the lives of other people? How wonderful it is to know people like Timothy. We should strive to be like Timothy, the type of person that lets their joy spill over like a cup full to the brim and let that joy just pour into the lives of others who, by the way, this guy, he needs it. He's in a dungeon. He's facing imminent death. God, help me to be like Timothy. Help us to be like Timothy, Lord. We get to verse 5, he says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So, Timothy, Timothy had a mom and a grandma who just loved Jesus, who, who helped disciple him. And Paul uses this phrase. He says, I am sure. You see it right there. I'm sure. I'm sure. This is in the original language. In the Greek perfect tense, it implies that Paul was thoroughly convinced. Timothy, I know you love the Lord. I know Jesus is your greatest treasure. I know. I'm sure. I'm confident. I wonder. If he was writing this letter to you, if he would use that same phrase, if he was writing that letter to me, would he say that? Would it be so evident in his life? This comes back to that idea of this apostle, this envoy, this messenger, this representative of Christ. If someone looked in at your life, what would be clear and what would be unclear to them? And so, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Think about this guy's attitude. Sometimes my, sometimes my attitude is just brutal. You can ask my wife, Diana. It's, it's kind of unpleasant at times. This guy is in a Roman dungeon facing imminent death And are you hearing? Don't miss like the words that we're that we're reading. His attitude is amazing, and I I see a guy who is focused on others, who's focused on helping others, especially in their walk with the Lord. And and I've experienced this many times in those moments where things just quite frankly stink and you're hurting those moments when you get opportunity to stop maybe focusing inward and start looking outward on how I can help others how I can help encourage others how I can help motivate others to persevere in their faith when you start doing that sometimes if not many times it's one of the greatest sources of comfort because if you're pointing people to the greatness and glory and majesty of God. You're preaching to yourself. You're reminding yourself of these things. So I often tell people. I'm not primarily preaching to you. I'm primarily preaching to Joe because I need to hear these things. We need to hear these things. And Paul is just pointing Timothy. He wants Timothy to persevere in the faith despite anything happening. His attitude is god given a little bit of a miracle and i look at this and i'm like i want to be like paul i want to be like paul i don't want to just coast in my faith i want to persevere in my faith i want to persevere some of you guys you're not persevering in your faith like if i said when was the last time you opened the bible you'd be like today Here's a guy, in less than ideal circumstances, focusing his attention on his love for someone else, counting his needs as more significant than his own, encouraging him to keep going, Timothy. I know you get discouraged. It's okay. Keep going. Keep persevering in your faith, Timothy. Regardless of what storm comes, oh, that we might be like Paul. That we might persevere regardless of the circumstances. Why? Because we're called to. Why? Because the stakes are high. We are his ambassador. We are his representatives. We are his envoys. So why don't we start acting like it? Like, like set the excuses aside and start acting like it. Start acting like it. God, please help us. Help us, Jesus. Help us to persevere in our faith, regardless of whatever things come up. I mean, this, God, I feel convicted. It's thinking about Paul's circumstances, God, Fill us not with excuses of why we can't persevere in our faith. Fill us with a passion and a desire to persevere in our faith. God, make us like Paul. Help us to... God, some of us, I just you just need to help us to stop coasting in our faith. The stakes are way too high, Lord, to coast... We need you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.